morning. An incredible thing happened to me my freshman year of college. I won an all-expense-paid trip for two to Rome, Italy. It's a true story. So I'm a freshman in college, like, dreaming of Rome and thinking, man, just envisioning myself riding a motorcycle through the streets of Rome with my girlfriend at the back. But then I realized I don't have a girlfriend. (laughs) And so instead, it was me and my dad on a moped in jorts. (laughs) So so I took my dad to Rome, and, uh, man, we had an incredible time. I was a history major. Rome was filled with history. It was awesome. I learned all sorts of stuff, but I learned three things that every person needs to know about Rome. Every person needs to know these three things about the city of Rome. The first thing is that Rome has more fountains than every city on the planet. There is a fountain literally on every single corner. You can go there, you can drink out of them. The water is still fed from ancient Roman aqueducts. There are fountains everywhere. It's incredible. Rome has more fountains than anything in the world. Second thing you need to know about Rome is there is a gelato shop on every street. So gelato, if you don't know, is like Italian ice cream. It's way better than American ice cream. It's awesome, and it's everywhere, okay? You feel it. It's good. Um, The third thing everyone needs to know about the city of Rome is Rome has over 900 churches, 900 church buildings throughout the city. And these aren't like your American churches, you know, with a basketball gym Our church is a basketball gym. Uh, No, these are amazing monuments. They're massive. They're filled with marble. They have statues and relics and amazing pieces of art. And uh, they're huge. And they're all amazing. But you want to know what church made the biggest impact on me? Uh, It wasn't St. Peter's Basilica. You know, that's one of the largest churches in the world. It's huge. It wasn't that. It wasn't the Sistine Chapel that has, you know, the paintings of Michelangelo on the ceiling. It wasn't that. It was Rome Baptist Church. Now, you've probably never heard of Rome Baptist Church. I had neither. Uh, but my dad and I woke up. We're like, hey, it's Sunday. We should be good Christians. Uh, we got 900 churches to look, search through, you know. So we just Googled English church service Rome, and we came up with Rome Baptist Church. So we hop on the moped, drive over there, you know. And as we're driving there, I'm thinking that I'm going to see this church filled with Italians. I worship in the Lord, you know. Um, <laughs> But as we walked in and I start meeting people and shaking hands and I find, I be, I meet barely any Italians. Instead of Italians, I'm meeting Germans and Syrians and Israelis and Ethiopians and Chinese and people from all over the world. I'd never seen anything like that before. And as I'm standing there worshiping with all of these peoples, this verse comes to mind. Revelation 7, 9. John gets a vision of heaven, like the clouds part, and he looks up and gets to see into God's throne room and what is God surrounded by. But, and this is what he sees, a great number that no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages surrounding the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes, they had palm branches in their hand, and they're worshiping God. And so I'm sitting in Rome Baptist Church worshiping with all these people, the most diverse people I've ever been around. And I think the church is global. 
The church is global. This is what God wants. What we see around God's throne room, that's what he wants here on the earth. He wants people all over the planet, worldwide, knowing him, knowing what he did through his son, trusting in him and worshiping God. That's what he wants. And the way we know that is not just from Revelation, but it's all over the Bible. All through God's word, from the beginning to the end, over 1,500 times, God mentions his heart for every single people group on the planet. And it starts in Genesis 12. And in fact, it starts with a promise. In Genesis 12, we get to see God make a promise to Abraham. And God says, Abraham, I'm gonna gonna bless your socks off. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And in you, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Does God keep his promises? Absolutely. Like God's character is hinging on this promise and he will reach all the nations of the earth. And that's what he wants his church to look like. He wants his church to look global. And in fact, not only does God make this promise and we see it over and over, God reaching the nations all throughout scripture, but God says this this heavenly worship service, this awesome worship party that we're gonna be having in heaven will not happen until everyone is there. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. See, God has already predetermined when the end will happen. In fact, Jesus says, the disciples asked him, Jesus, when's the end gonna happen? He says, I don't even know, only God knows. I mean, figure that one out. Jesus was God, I don't, I don't know. But what does he say? This heavenly worship party will not happen until everyone is there. Every nation is represented in heaven. So God has promised that his church will be global. And he's going to wait till every single person is a part of it. He's going to wait till everyone is invited and a part of this party. So last year, uh, I turned 30. I'm old now. And uh, my wife threw me a surprise birthday party. It was awesome, had all my favorite things, friends, family, Star Wars, it was great, okay. And uh, the next week, as I'm walking into Mama Carmen's, I see one of my best friends. And he's like, hey, what's up? And we're catching up and everything. And he goes, man, I saw your birthday party, your surprise party on Instagram. That looks so cool. And I'm like, oh gosh, who did my wife invite to the party? Like surely she didn't forget like my best friend, right? And so... I say, hey, yeah, you should have been there. You know, he goes, oh, I wasn't invited. And I'm like, man, I don't know. Like, my wife's really smart, right? And I'm like, she knows you're my best friend. And so I said, open your phone. He pulls out his phone. Open your email. Search Holly Allen. He searches in his email, in the trash, invite from Holly Allen. He didn't know he was invited to the party. And what's really crazy is God wants to have this awesome worship party with all of these nations but most of them don't even know they're invited. They don't know. So as we see that God wants to have this awesome worship party, he's promised that the church will be global. He says it's gonna happen. What was the price he paid? Like what's the admission fee to get into this this global party we're gonna have? God tells us in Revelation 5, 9, says, Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed, you purchased people 
for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Did you see? The price God paid to invite us into this was with his own son's life. See, each one of us, everyone in this room, man, we're born in sin. Our hearts are utterly wicked. We deserve God's wrath. So what does he do? He sent Jesus to absorb that wrath. He paid the punishment that we deserved, threw it on Christ so that we could be invited into his family and be a part of what God is doing around the world. Isn't that incredible? And did he do it for just you and me in America? No way. Every nation, all peoples, every language, all tribes, all people of the earth will be surrounded around the throne in heaven. And it's exciting to see that God is willing to pay that. That's how serious he is. He's promised that his church will be global. And he says it's gonna happen for the end of time, but and he even, he even paid with his son's life. And the church is global, but the global church has obstacles. The global church has obstacles. There are things in the way that are keeping God's global church from being worldwide. And the one thing, if you walk out of here, this is the one thing I want you to remember from New Heights this Sunday morning. 6,994. 6,994. That number is 6,994 individual groups of people that are completely cut off from the gospel. They will never hear about Jesus unless a Christian changes their address and goes to them. Most of these people will never meet a Christian in their whole life. And so we call these groups unreached people groups. The group has their own unique language or culture. They're unique in their own way, and they have no representation of the gospel. There's no one there trying to meet them. In fact, one-third of all of these groups don't even have a Bible in their language. Not even one verse. Not even John 3.16. This is a list of every language on the planet without the Bible in their own language. That is not okay. These people deserve more than our free time. God wants his church global, but there are obstacles in the way. And that 6,994 People groups is the big obstacle. We have to reach each one of those groups before this party in heaven's gonna get started. Most of these people live in an area of the world we call the 1040 window. And it gets its name from the 10 degrees north latitude, 40 degrees north latitude, from Africa all the way to the South China Sea. Most of those unreached peoples live in this box. And that's where this 6,000, almost 7,000 groups, this is where they live. But you can categorize all of the groups, almost every single one of them, in one of five categories. There are five unique blocks, five unique spiritual uh, obstacles that we have to overcome with these groups. The first one that we have to reach are tribal peoples. Tribal peoples. Tribal people live on islands in Southeast Asia, and also there are many of them that live in the Amazon. There are over 100 tribes in the Amazon that have not even met an outside Western person. They are so deep in the jungle that no one's ever met them before. So what do we mean by tribal people? Well, it's probably exactly like what you're thinking of, like bone through the nose, face paint, like spear in hand, living in a hut in the jungle. I mean, that's what we mean by tribal people. Um, 
it's crazy. The tribal people aren't huge. There's not a lot of them, but there are lots of individuals of them. Like what, what I mean is, is tribal people make up less than 10% of the world population, but they speak 70% of the world's languages. That means every single tribe has their own language, their own culture. And so a missionary has to specifically go to each tribe, sit there, learn their language, create a written language for their language, translate the Bible into that language, teach them chronologically from the beginning to Jesus to the end, God's heart for the world, and share the gospel with them, plan a church. That process can take a long time. But you know what? God wants to use you to reach tribal people. And you may be saying, man, how could God use me? Well, just last weekend, I was able to take a group of about 20 U of A students to a missions base in Missouri. Mission agency is called Ethnos 360, used to be called New Tribes Mission. They decided to get cool and change their name, okay? Ethnos 360. We, at that missions base, got to see a mock tribal village. We got to see students who were living there on the base. They're learning phonemics and how to take a language and listen to it and write it down. Incredible culture, language acquisition. And they're just average believers. The only difference between them and us is they said yes. And they're being trained and they're going to be used. Maybe God would have you join the already four couples that we have at New Heights Church that were sent from here that are living in villages today. Tribal people make up a significant part of the 6,994 unreached people groups. The second group of people that we have to reach, the second major obstacle are Hindu people. Hindu people live in India. Hinduism is a a religion of of polytheism, right? They worship many different gods. Uh, Hindus also believe in reincarnation. So depending on how you did in this life, your karma and your duty, your role in life, your dharma, determines when you die how you are reborn. And if you did great, you could be reborn in the next level. And if you did awful, you could be reborn as an Auburn fan, okay? Um, So, man, God uh, wants to reach these Hindu people. And they have all these different languages. If you're an Auburn fan, God loves you, okay? I'm just saying. Um, But, man, uh, God wants to reach all these Hindu people. And missionaries who were there can talk with people. Most of them know English. And you say, hey, here's who Jesus was. Here's what he did. Here's how he lived his life. Here's what he did for you. An Indian is going to say, that's incredible. I love Jesus. I'm going to take him and put him on the shelf with all my favorites. And so the challenge with reaching a Hindu is having them worship Jesus alone as their salvation. God wants to use you to reach Hindus. Did you know that? Because of Walmart and their global connections, there are many, many Hindu families in Northwest Arkansas. And in fact, you could have the opportunity. Maybe God wants to use you to take your family and go to a Hindu festival. And you could meet them and learn their culture and develop a relationship with them and eventually tell them who Jesus was and what he did for them. You know, (laughs) Bentonville may seem far away, but it's a lot closer than India. And you could have a great opportunity Hindus make up a major part of the 6,994 unreached peoples. The third group, the third obstacle we have to reach to make this church global, to serve God and what he wants on the planet, is Chinese. Chinese, surprisingly enough, live in China. And uh, to reach these Chinese people, uh, their government is huge. The reason China's on the list is because China is massive. One out of every six people on the planet are Chinese. There are more teenagers in China 
than people living in America. Okay, that's how big China is. Now, China has an atheist government. Uh, between services, a Chinese international student came up to me and said, China doesn't believe in God. We believe in science. Because of the communist government, their official religion is atheism. There is no religion. And in fact, the Chinese president last week in an address to the Communist Party said that we are going to crack down on religious practices in China and make it harder for people to practice their religious beliefs. That's the environment China, Chinese people are living in. Now, back in the 40s, when the communists took over, there was just a handful of Christians. But some estimates today say that Christianity in China has reached over 100 million people. And that sounds incredible. But when you're talking about billions, that's just a fraction of the country. China is full of unreached people groups. There are all sorts of problems in the nation. But God wants to use you to reach Chinese people. He does. Just last year, there were three couples sitting in this gym who were not okay with the fact of millions of Chinese people not having access to Jesus. And they're living in Western China today. You could join them in Chengdu today and reach out to many Chinese people. The Chinese make up a significant part of the 6,994 unreached peoples. The fourth group, the fourth obstacle we have to overcome are Muslim people. Muslims believe that God has sent prophets throughout time to reveal who he is. Muslims believe all those prophets, except one, come from the Bible. Moses, Solomon, David, Abraham, even Jesus were prophets. They believe Jesus uh, came to earth. He was a, a perfect man. He lived a perfect life. He did many miracles. He was born of a virgin, and he ascended to heaven. But what they don't believe is where there's problems. They don't believe Jesus was the son of God. And they don't believe Jesus died on the cross. Therefore, there's no payment for sin. So we have to earn our way to have God accept us. And Muslims practice those things. They're called the five pillars of Islam. Five things that they do throughout their daily life, their religious life, to appease God that he would love them and let them go to his paradise. God wants to use you to reach Muslims. Because of William J. Fulbright uh, and his connections around the world, the University of Arkansas has an amazing relationship with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia is a country where you and I will probably never get to go in our entire lives. It's one of the hardest, most closed countries to the gospel, and they're probably one of the number one persecutor of Christians in the world. And God says, you know what? You can't get to them, so I'm going to send them to you. And the University of Arkansas has an amazing relationship with the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And you could reach out to those international students. You could befriend an international, be his buddy, love him, and teach him about what has God uh, done through Jesus of the New Testament. Muslims make up a major part of the 6,994 unreached people groups. The last group, the fifth group we need to talk about, obstacles of coming uh, of the church being global, are Buddhist peoples. Buddhism is not a religion, but more a philosophy. Really, uh, some may believe they're gods, it doesn't matter. They don't worship Buddha, but they follow him as the pioneer who kind of led the way. And uh, the founder, Siddhartha Gautama, says basically there's four truths in life. They're called the four noble truths. The first one is that our life is suffering. And you can look around you and say, yeah, well, there's suffering in this life. And that suffering comes from our own desires and because of our ignorance. 
And so if we can deny our ignorance and become enlightened, eventually we could become enlightened beings. And that guy was the first guy to figure it out, and he became the first enlightened one. And that word in Sanskrit is Buddha. And so he was the first Buddha who figured out the way. And so Buddhists follow that through meditation, through different practices, through ways of life. Um, they, they worship um, with their lives this philosophy. And let me tell you a story, just kind of how it, it, as difficult it is to understand Buddhism. Uh, I have a friend of mine who's a missionary in Laos. And it's a Buddhist country. And he developed a great relationship with a Buddhist monk. And they became good friends. And one day, the missionary friend gave him a New Testament in his own language. And the Buddhist monk said, thank you. He's very thankful. And so it had been a while since the, the missionary had met up with him. And he says, hey, did you ever get around to you know, reading that Bible? And he says, I read the whole thing. And the missionary's like, wow, this is incredible. And he goes, dude, what did you think? And the, and the Buddhist monk says, I think Jesus was one of the most unique humans who ever lived. And this missionary's like, wow, this is incredible. What did you think? Tell me about Jesus. And the Buddhist monk says this. I'll never forget it. Jesus was born in Matthew, lived an amazing life and died. And he was reborn in the book of Mark and lived an amazing life and died. And he was reborn in the book of Luke and he died. And he was reborn in the book of John and he achieved nirvana with only four lifetimes. You see, it's not enough for us to share the gospel with these people. We have to plan a church that can disciple people within their own worldview, their own understanding. And so that takes time. It takes lives, but they're worth it. And God wants to use you to reach Buddhists. The question is, will you be a part? Will you be a part of God reaching tribal, Hindu, Chinese, Muslim, and Buddhist people? Or will you live a self-centered, high-maintenance, me-centered life? The church is global. The global church has obstacles, and the global church needs you. Maybe you're saying, hey, it's okay. There's somebody else. Someone else can go, you know, I'm busy. But let me tell you, that's not okay. The global church needs you. It needs each and every one of us. Now, does that mean every one of us should pack up and go overseas? Not necessarily, but it means we have a part to play. God wants this church worldwide, and we have a significant part. It's been 2,000 years, and there are 6,994 groups of people who've never heard of Jesus. There are Christians all the time who are talking about Jesus' second coming when most of the world has never heard of his first. It has got to change, and we need everyone involved. So what do we do? What do we do? Two things. It's that easy. Two things. Live and give. Everyone in this room needs to live and give. That's how we're going to finish this Great Commission. So what does that mean? Well, the first thing is where we live. Where we live is important. I'm going to show you a map, and on this map... It has every blue dot represents 50,000 Christians and every red dot represents 50,000 unreached people. What do you notice? Christians don't live near the unreached. That's why they're unreached. Do you know what that means? Some of us have to move. It's that simple. Some of us have to change our zip code and live amongst the people 
who don't know Jesus, who are cut off from Christ, who've never met a Christian, who don't have a Bible in their own language. And in this room, there are so many opportunities to do that between education, between our jobs, between our companies, between all this influence that has been brought to Northwest Arkansas. You could be used and live your life in an incredible way. Some of us need to change where we live. Other of us just need to change how we live. And what I mean by that is our lifestyle. When we mean live and give, some of us need to live intentionally in Northwest Arkansas to reach unreached peoples here. Now, I'm not talking about your neighbors and your coworkers. Do they need Jesus? Absolutely. That's why New Heights is having a training this weekend called Salt and Light to train everyone in this church on how to befriend their neighbor, how to tell them about Jesus in a way that's not you know, intense or like offensive or whatever. But here's the thing. We're not talking about your friends and neighbors. Are there needs here? Absolutely. But Jesus didn't say, hey, go only where there are needs. He says, I want people from every nation and every language and every tribe on the planet. So there are people from the 6,994 unreached people groups who are living in Northwest Arkansas. Is that not incredible? Because of the university, because of all these global corporations, there are people living here and you could have an amazing impact on their life. So you're saying, man, how could I do that? Well, there's lots of ways, okay? There are lots of ministries trying to do that. But we just wanna put one new way. We just um, are a part of this new ministry we're calling Furniture Friends. Furniture Friends, it's that easy. Well, what is it, okay? There's a whole lot of international students in Northwest Arkansas, and many of them are here because they're using scholarships. They've got all sorts of opportunities to leave their homeland and come here, and many of them have spent every dime to get here. And 15 years ago, there was a man in Northwest Arkansas, your average elderly grandpa guy, who said, man, I need, to, I need to say yes and do something about this. So he got a language partner. They became good buddies. The language partner from another country invites him over his apartment. And he walks in and sees that it is completely bare. There's almost nothing. And he says, where do you live? Where do you sleep? He says, right here. He's like, on the floor? Yeah. And so the guy said, man, this is not right. So he started a ministry that now has evolved into this Furniture Friends program. We have furniture in over 90 apartments in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And here's what we need. We need two things. We need furniture and we need friends, right? It makes sense. We need people to donate furniture. Now, if there's stuff that you wanted to just like put out on Craigslist and leave on the curb, we don't want it, okay? That's not what we're talking about. Because we're gonna give this to these international students. And as long as there's students here in Northwest Arkansas, they can have it free of charge. But when they go home, we'll take it back so it can be used by someone else. And we're giving it to them and saying, this represents Jesus. This is a gift from Christians in Northwest Arkansas. And we want you to have this while you're here. And so that's, the, that's one thing we need. If you have furniture, nice things that you could donate to us, we'd love to have it. But not only that, we would take donations with money because we're gonna use that to purchase. We've got people who are thrifty shoppers to find good deals on furniture and we could bless these students with them. But the second thing we need are friends. Every single student that we give furniture to, we say, hey, would you like to be paired with an American friend? And not one single one of them have said no. Everyone wants an American friend. And you know what? We have a waiting list of international students who want an American friend, but there's not enough people to reach out to them and be their buddy. And we're not looking, let me phrase it this way. We're looking for friends, not projects. We want people who will unconditionally love them like Jesus unconditionally loves us. If you share the gospel with an international student and they say, ah, no thanks, and you stop hanging out with them, what's that gonna communicate? 
No, we want people to love them unconditionally. Dude, take them over to your house for Thanksgiving. Have a Christmas party. Do whatever it takes. Be their friend. And man, maybe you'd have the opportunity to share Jesus with them. And a college degree wouldn't be the only thing they're taking home with them. Maybe it could be salvation with Jesus. So we need people to live. We need people to live overseas. We need people to live intentionally here, being a part of Furniture Friends. And the second thing is, is we need people to give. By the way, if you want to sign up for Furniture Friends, this is our website, furniturefriends.co. Apparently M's are dumb. No, I don't really know, but this is the website we got, okay? So (laughs) furniturefriends.co. You can sign up to donate furniture. If you donate furniture, we'll come pick it up. We've got a team of people with trucks and trailers. We'll come pick up the furniture that you donate. And we need friends to sign up. You can sign up to be a friend or to donate on that website, furniturefriends.co. Or you could go to the Global Outfitters table in the back and sign up. So we need people to live and we need people to give. Um, The second, by by giving, here's what we mean. If you were to total all of the money given to unreached people groups and missions, it would be less than Americans spend on Halloween costumes for their pets. I'll say that again. There's more money given or spent on Halloween costumes for dogs than unreached people missions, okay? I love my dog. But man, people who've never heard Jesus need to be a priority in our life. And does your wallet reflect that? So here's a couple things that we need to know. New Heights, man, we're a global church, okay? Many of us in this room are sacrificially giving to support missionaries. And man, we're gonna have eternal rewards for that. And New Heights estimates that every year, about $1 million are given outside of our church to global causes. That's incredible. But that's not all of us. And many of us need to give. And here's what we're challenging you to do. Give generously to New Heights Church. A significant part of our budget goes to partner with missions groups and kingdom building things all around the globe. When you give to us, it allows us to partner with really effective ministries and to help send our global workers. So we challenge you just to give generously to New Heights. On top of that, man, there's missionaries around the room who could use your support. There's great opportunities that you could use to give. So the global, uh, the church is global and the global church has obstacles and the global church needs you. Will you live and will you give to be a part? So um, when I was in college, uh, my best friend, kind of my mentor, his name's Todd, he had a Christmas party and To get, it was a little bit different because to get in the door of this Christmas party, you had to bring an international student with you to go. And for many of these international students, it was their first time to have an American Christmas with anything. And so we did it right. You know, we had hot cocoa, we had Christmas cookie decorations, we had Charlie Brown Christmas playing on the TV. It was a great time. And right when the room like gets packed, my friend Todd stands up on the couch and says, all right, everyone listen up. We are going to do an American tradition that every American does every year. It's called Christmas caroling. Every American does it. And so we handed out notes, we handed out the words, and we taught these guys Christmas songs that they'd never heard in their life. And after two minutes of training them, we said, let's go. So we all walk out in Todd's neighborhood, and we go door to door in Todd's neighborhood to sing Christmas carols. So we ring the first doorbell, the door opens up, we start singing, you know, many of these students have no idea what they're singing. 
And the guy's like, whoa, he takes out his phone and videos the whole thing, you know? And he's like, wow, that was awesome. Thanks guys, you know? And everyone's like high five and we did it. Yeah, let's go to the next house, you know? So we're all walking around, we're singing and we get up to the next house and man, they love it. The guy, the dad answers the door. He's like, honey, get the kids. And so we're singing and he goes, guys, get your coats. We're joining them. And so he comes with us and we're going door to door throughout the house singing, you know, singing in the neighborhood. And by the time we get to the third house, as we're walking across the street, we see the porch life turn off. And by the time we get to the door, we can hear it audibly lock. And my, we rang the doorbell and nothing happens. And my friend Sultan looks at me and says, Nathan, what do we do? And I said, Sultan, what do you think we should do? And he said, we will sing anyway. <laughs> and so all the nations of all these international students sat there and we sang Silent Night to a Dark House. The global church will be made up of people of all nations and languages praising God in heaven in the greatest worship service ever experienced. But there are 6,994 groups that don't even know they're invited. Will you join the nations in helping invite these nations to be a part of praising God? Or will you lock the door, turn off the lights, and live a life apart of what God wants to use you for? We're about to enter our time of, of response. And there's some great ways. We want you to respond however you feel led to do that. There are tables around the room for communion. Maybe you need to grab a friend and you need to celebrate Jesus buying us back from sin and hell. And we need to remember what Jesus did for us. The prayer room will be around the room. Maybe some of you need to seek prayer. Maybe ask forgiveness. Say, man, God, I've never seen any of this stuff before. Help me to learn. Help me to get better. Help me to be obedient to this. Give me the courage. But one thing we want everyone to do before you leave here is around the room are tables of notes of missionaries. And we have no cards on the table. New Heights has 49 global workers in 31 countries. And each one of them is represented by one of these flags around the room. They desperately need our support. They desperately need our encouragement. They're away from friends and family and they need to know that what they're doing is worth it. And so we ask everyone in this room, go to one of those tables and write an encouragement card, even if you don't know any of those missionaries. Put a Bible verse in there, just encourage them. I mean, it means the world to them when they get these notes. Fill it out, put it in the envelope, and we'll make sure that they get it. Please do that before you leave today. Maybe some of us need to go to the Global Outfitters table and start a conversation of what it would look like to live overseas. I mean, there's different tables around the back different ways we can get connected, lots of awesome ministries that are doing great kingdom work around the world and they need their help. For most of us, maybe the next step we could do is sign up for a class called Perspectives. It's the first table when you walk in the room. It's a class that'll completely change your life. It changed mine. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. So when we, after we pray, would you be obedient to how God is leading you? This is not a time to leave early. It's a time to celebrate God and to be obedient to what he's calling us to do. Let's pray. 
Jesus, your word says you are worthy. You are worthy of worship of all peoples and all languages around the world. And there are 6,994 of them that have no idea what you did for them. And God, you have saved us and rescued us for your purposes, not for ourselves. And God, sometimes it's really hard to be obedient to that. But God, you want to use every one of us. Your word is full of people who were horrible people. They were humans. They were sinful like us. And you used them because they said, yes, God, would you use us? Give us the courage to say yes. Use us in incredible ways. God, I pray that every person in this room would wrestle with being used by you in global purposes. That doesn't mean necessarily leaving this country, but for some of us it does. But for every one of us, it means obedient, being obedient to what is in front of us, God. Give us the courage to do that. God, we pray that you continue to bless this church and all of our global workers around the world. God, bless them, encourage them. Help them to know that our church is pulling for them. We're praying for them. God, encourage them. Help them to see the fruit of their labor because they're doing it for you. God, I pray that you would use this church because the harvest is great. It is ripe for the harvest, but the workers are few. Give us the courage to be workers for your glory.